Leicester Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. Lots of shiny new kit on show at Lama to talk about this week. And there's a new free farm for the future programme. It's business and environment. It's free support and advice for farmers. Anyone who um, is claiming BPS. And some new grant money for solar. Its purpose is to really help farmers with the day-to-day farming business. That's really what this is about, rather than sort of filling fields with solar panels. Plus, we'll look at a report talking about staff shortages in farming and how to solve the problem. Check the markets and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, welcome to The Farming Programme podcast. A drier but cold week. That looks about to change. Hope it's been good for you the last week. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, for the fourth year in a row, DEFRA has approved the use of neonicotinoids on sugar beet seeds. The product, which has been banned since 2018, can only be used if an independent, scientifically verified level of threat posed by the disease virus yellows is met in March. That threshold will be a 65% infection across the national sugar beet crop. Farmers are being reminded to use urea fertiliser inhibitors this spring to avoid new government restrictions and improve air quality. Inspectors are to visit over 800 farms in Wales this year to oversee the industry's efforts in cutting pollution. The Welsh Government has announced that the NRW team will inspect farms to assess compliance with the control of agriculture pollution regulations. Legislation putting an end to the export from Great Britain of live animals for slaughter and fattening is now moving to the House of Lords for further scrutiny. This is the Animal Welfare Livestock Exports Bill, which seeks to restrict the distances animals destined for slaughter have to travel, but will still allow live exports for breeding and competitions. And congratulations to Night Farm Machinery, Spreader Bale, Crone Smart Bale, Polaris Kinetic, Kvernland Padama and Ian Evans, the big award winners at Lama this week. We'll have a chat with Polaris and some of the others showing new futuristic kit at the show later in the programme. Now, you know we like looking to the future on the farming programme. Do you need help with moving your farm in that direction? A new programme being launched may be of interest. Helen Rivets here from the charity Royal Countryside Fund to tell us more about Farm for the Future. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Before we talk about the programme specifically, could you take a a minute or so just to give us a bit of background on the fund itself? What is the Royal Countryside Fund and what do you do? So the Royal Countryside Fund is a charity and we were actually founded by His Majesty the King back in 2010 when he was still the Prince of Wales. And we are the only UK-wide charity that is supporting family farms and rural communities to ensure their future. And our real aim is just to see the countryside and the people in it, not just surviving, but thriving because the people there do such an important job. And how do you do that on a practical basis? So we have three different strands. One of them will be talked about more is our farming programmes and trying to support farmers with our local partners. One side is our uh, supporting rural communities where we have a grant and support programme. And the third part is basically trying to bring more attention to the countryside, the people in it, to farming, to rural communities, because they're so important and so often overlooked. I'm not going to disagree with you there, definitely. Let's talk about the Farm for the Future programme, because that kicks off fairly soon. Do you want to give us a little bit of background as to what this programme is? 
Yes, so basically as a charity, we try to support farmers across the UK and Farm for the Future is our England-based programme. We are actually funded by the DEFRA Farming Resilience Fund. So it is free support and advice for farmers, anyone who um, is claiming BPS. And for us, it involves a series of workshops and you also have the opportunity of a one-on-one session. And where so much is changing and keeps changing in farming with policy and what's going on, we're just trying to make it really understandable, really accessible and really helpful for the farmers who come along. So this is a a business related programme. Um, It's business and environment. So it's trying to look at each farm business. So we run the programme actually in 18 regions um, across England. And the wonderful thing is we work with local partners on this. So it is people who are on the ground who know their local area, who know their local farmers. And so while we have kind of a consistent programme, they tailor it to the local farmers to make sure it fits what they really need and to try and give that individual support wherever we can. And it's business and environment. So it's looking at your own business and what you're what you're doing. If potentially there's any areas that might be a possibility for improvement or change, depending on what any farm is doing. And then also looking at that environmental um, land management side where you've got these new schemes from DEFRA, but you've also got various different options from other organisations out there as well to help farmers in the important job they're doing. Now you mentioned this is available to people uh, on BPS which of course is gradually being phased out but are there any other criteria for somebody to take part in the workshops? Um, No it is pretty much open to anyone who claims BPS whether you're a tenant farmer or whether you're um, an owner of your farm you are welcome to come along. Okay and what are the workshops going to focus on? So the core workshops, one is looking at business efficiency, the kind of key things anyone is looking at and maybe hopefully as well some help from tools and advice that might help the farmers with the business. One focuses on the environmental schemes. Obviously, DEFRA has just made an announcement with a whole load more actions and talking about SFI 2024. So we're between those hundreds of pages on the DEFRA website. We're trying to pick it out, slim it down and make it. Easy. Well, exactly. Um, And then the other workshops are actually tailored to the local area. We give the farms the opportunity of telling us what they're interested in, what they'd like to learn more about. And then we find suitable local consultants who can do that. And then the one on one session is really drilling down to the farm itself. So it's someone coming on farm and talking it through with you. What are the options? What's out there? What could you do? Are you utilising currently the best options for your farm and what suits you? Because not everyone can diversify, not everyone can do all the SFI options. You've got to work out what works for you and your farm and your food production. And how are these workshops delivered? Are they sort of face-to-face in a group or online or actually on the individual's farm? How do they work? So there's a couple of options. So in um, 18 regions, they are in person, so they shouldn't be too far away from you. We tend to um, deliver them on sometimes on farm, which is nice, or in local village halls and hotels. We also have the option of an online virtual group for anyone who struggles to leave the farm. That way they still have access to all that advice and help without having to go anywhere. And what sort of time are we talking about? How long are these workshops? How many of them are? How long does the programme run for? There's about six to eight workshops on offer as well as the one-to-one and it's running right now. So the the core business and environment workshops will all be happening very soon. So we're trying to encourage everyone uh, to sign up now in January so you get the full benefit and it runs roughly until the summer, sort of May, June time. But we, we try and add in as much flexibility as possible where we know there's a lot to do on farm at certain periods and work around that. And is there a cost to this? 
No, it is totally free. Where we are funded by DEFRA, that means we can offer all of this free to farmers. And something to add is, as a charity, we know there's more than one person on farm. So we really want the whole farm, the whole family to come along and benefit from these workshops and one-on-ones. You sound like a fantastic scheme. It really does. Helen, where could somebody who's interested head for more information? So the best place to start is on our website, royalcountrysidefund.org.uk forward slash farm for the future. And there you'll see the list of areas we're in and also the contact details for our local partners who can let you know exactly what's happening in your area. Lovely. Helen Rivett, Programme Manager for the Royal Countryside Fund's Farm for the Future programme. Thank you so much for joining us on the Farming programme this morning. Thank you very much. Some new grant money has been announced for solar. No, not filling fields full of solar panels, but help with investment to reduce the farm lecky bills. Richard Jones is MD of Lincolnshire-based Emilio Solar Energy. Well, this is the first time that a grant has been available for farmers to uh, have for investing in solar PV. Really the first sort of significant investment by government since the days of the feed-in tariff. And so the grant can be used primarily for rooftop uh, solar panel installations, but also for battery storage to go alongside it. So really its purpose is to really help farmers with the day-to-day farming business. That's really what this is about, rather than sort of filling fields with uh, with solar panels. I was going to say, this is more aimed at the farmer's own use, rather than setting aside a field, taking it out of food use, filling it full of solar panels, and then selling the electricity onto the grid. Absolutely, Steve. So this is really aimed at, you know, there's a number of types of farming across Lincolnshire in particular that use a lot of electricity. Poultry and and, and pig farming particularly uses a lot of ventilation, which is very electricity heavy, as is a lot of the veg production, which uh, requires cold storage. And what sort of size of grant are we talking about? Uh, So the grant money is available from £15,000 to £100,000, and that's for 25% of the project value. So obviously a farmer's got to contribute to this, and as we said, it's not aimed at filling fields full of uh, solar panels, more for rooftop kind of installations. So they can put a load of panels on the top of a barn, for instance. Yeah, exactly that. And to kind of put it in context, Steve, it would help farmers uh, really get quite a quick payback on on a solar panel installation. At the moment, a reasonable size installation on a farm building, you might get a payback of three and a half years. This might reduce it down to sort of two and a half years. So it is quite a significant uh, contribution. And there are other things that the grant can be used for, not just solar panels on top of the barn. Yes, it is part of a, a wider grant, the, this uh, so-called improving farm productivity. And it's also available for um, advanced ventilation controls, wavelength specific LED lighting for assisti- assisting uh, crop growth, um, and also for robotics and automation within the, the farming uh, processes. And where could we go for more information about this, Richard? So the full details are published on the uh, government website, uh, gov.uk, um, and we've also published uh, a link and some further details on our own Emilio Solar Energy uh, website. All right, fascinating stuff. Thank you for joining us on the Farming Programme. That's Richard Jones, Managing Director of Emilio Solar Energy. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. We'll hear about some shiny new kit on show at Lama this week in a few minutes. First, while I was at the show, I had a chat with Hugh Pocock, director of recruitment firm Cultura Connect, who've published an interesting report into the labour shortages faced by many farms and what can be done about it. Hugh, what brought this study and report about? Yeah, I think the report came off the bat. We were seeing a shortage. I think there's a shortage in all industries in terms of people, particularly in agriculture, because our clients are coming to us saying we really need someone that understands our business 
but we can't find them. So that's our job to go out and find them. But we were, we're certainly noticing a bit of a shortage. And particularly in that age gap between 35 and 55, that was our gut feel. But actually, when we've gone out and we've interviewed uh, many industry leaders within agriculture, and it's the same theme coming back. So if you go back 20 years ago, when I was starting out in agriculture, everyone told me, don't get into agriculture, Hugh, there's no money whatsoever. It's a, you know, it's a failing industry. But at the end of the day, we've got to feed the world, uh, and agriculture will have a, you know, a great future. And it has an amazing, it's very exciting for people. And so we wanted to see what industry leaders were saying, and they were saying very much the same. There is a shortage, and it's how you go about attracting those people into the business. And that's what we wanted to understand is how they were doing it, how they were standing out from the rest. Is there a particular sector that's having more difficulties than others, or is it a general thing across agriculture? I think it's a general thing across agriculture. I think very much hands-on farming is, is, is really struggling because we've lost a lot of labour into sort of back into Eastern Europe, and we're at sort of all-time low in terms of uh, unemployment. So there's a big shortage anyway. When we did our report, pig and poultry sector was probably the one that was struggling the most, but I think everyone's struggling in a form, and I think it's people got to learn how to ad- adapt to that. And can you put any? sort of finger on why this problem is good you mentioned about the sort of eastern european and the the seasonal workers and so on but there seems to be a shortage of people just generally wanting to get into agriculture yeah i think that there's several things that come into that it's not particularly sexy is it uh, for some people from outside of it and i think if you roll the clock back 20 30 40 years ago there was more people involved in farming per se there was more farms farms have consolidated so there's less people naturally coming into the industry and like i said 20 years ago when i was coming into well, 25 years ago now everyone said don't get into it so there was pressure to move people out we got the sort of dot-com boom stuff like that people going into other industries that earn more money you weren't getting uh, dirty and cold and wet so they disappeared but now it, it is starting to turn we are seeing more younger people coming through but we've got this gap and that's going to cause issues that certainly at senior leadership level if you take the dairy industry when i first started out working for a genetics company there was 20 odd thousand dairy farmers we're now down to about 8,000 dairy farmers so the pool of where you're drawing those people from and if you take the analogy that was two children from each family one would probably go back into the farm the second person would probably end up going into industry that second person hasn't been coming in but we've got less of those second people because those businesses have expanded and consolidated and in fact now those both those individuals will probably end up in that farming business because it will take both of them. So that sort of traditional next generation family way of working, it, you know, it goes on to the next generation when dad retires or whatever, that seems to be getting less prevalent. Yeah, very much so because you get consolidation in the industry. You know, farmers are getting bigger, smaller farms are going out. Farms have got to diversify as well. So, you, you know, if you go to somewhere like Holland, a lot of small farms, but they've also got a part-time job as well. So given we know kind of what the problems are and what's caused all this, what's the answer? I think we've got to attract more people into the industry. We've got to continue to try and attract people back into the industry what's it, that never been in the industry as well. Um, and that's, that has to start at school level. I think it's get, it, under, getting people to understand where their food has come from and also to get people to understand that there is a multitude of different uh, jobs that you can do within, uh, within the industry. It's not all about getting your hands dirty or sat on a tractor. If you take a dairy farm, for example is about 120 different businesses that are supplying in a product or a service that could be it could be genetics it could be machinery it could be uh, an accountant it could be a shed all of these different areas are linked to agriculture that people are probably unaware of 
And so actually, if you went into schools and started saying, look, these are credible opportunities for you, I think we would certainly start to fill the bottom end up. I think when it comes to um, businesses trying to develop uh, their own talent, particularly that sort of middle management above, you've got to do things differently. You've got to start to stand out. If you're not able to stand out, you need to be able to grow your talent within and allow people to progress, invest in them. And I think people have been a bit shy of putting money back in. If you haven't got people coming through, you've got to attract them. So that whole kind of employer brand is really key. And I, I speak to a lot of people about it. It's, it's about, often it's very much about your reputation, how you're seen. You know, it could be as simple as having good social media preference, presence, but at the same time, it could be how you've dealt with somebody that's left your business. You know, if you, if you kick them out the door and say, good, good riddance to you, we don't want to see you again, they'll go and tell 10 of their friends and they, their 10 friends tell someone else and all of a sudden you've built a bad reputation. So looking after people is, is, is really key and that reputation will make a big difference. In your report, you talked about strong leadership or almost a lack of strong leadership. That seems to be key to this, doesn't it? It does, and I think uh, we'll, we'll see it in a lot of situations where leaders have been put in positions because maybe they've been very good at their area of, of sales, but they may not be a natural leader. So I think everyone can become a leader. There's no doubt about that, but that all comes down to investment of the employer. And, and I think, you know, again, it's all about investing people, developing people, not expecting people to be able to just jump from here to there. Um, and I think good employers are those ones that are, they've got a, a roadmap effectively where people can go. And I know it's difficult within a smaller company, but there's still ways to be able to invest in people. And, and some people go, well, I don't want to invest because if I invest, I'll just go on and get a job somewhere else. But wouldn't that be a better if that person left your business a better person? And actually, if you leave the door open, there's a fair chance they'll come back. Are apprenticeships the answer at all? Because they don't seem to have caught on a lot in farming, do they? I'm a big fan of apprenticeships. I think it is one of the answers for sure. They're not a big thing in farming. There's more of it happening. Again, the Oxford Farming Conference was a piece on that too, talking about it. And I think one of the biggest challenges has been able to spend time to develop those people. When you're particularly busy on a farming level, taking time out to give to someone that doesn't know the ropes at all is a challenge. But if you want to make succeed, I think that's what we're going to have to do. At the other end, though, I think degree apprenticeships are a fantastic opportunity. And in fact, I would be encouraging my children to do that because, you know, you don't go into debt. You can actually go into a job. You get paid to do it. You go and then every five or six weeks go into a university and spend a week there. I know Harper Adams do a really good course on that uh, for land agents and it's fully subscribed over 50 people this, this last year and, and that's really exciting because people are able to, to learn, learn on the job, get a bit of theory, go back and learn what they've just learned in, in college or university and they develop so much quicker and they don't have any debt. You talked about image and branding and so on. How can a farm business actually make itself more attractive to potential employees? So I guess if you think about a farm, you're down a long drive somewhere, you might be in the middle of nowhere, you've got to get your name out there. And I think simple things like creating a Facebook page or Instagram page or a website because people are really interested but you've got to engage and actually show what the different things that you do but also give kudos to people that are working within your team so that other people can say actually these guys really respect the fact that this person's done really well and that could be completing uh, a course it could be winning an award for example winning awards if a farmer is able to sort of demonstrate that they are they, they may have gone to a local show and, and had an animal there they could have won a, a competition in terms of um, best farm best practices on farm get that information out there because it's amazing how that will resonate with certainly with the younger generation that are more savvy when it comes to social media
That's Hugh Pocock from Cultura Connect. To find out more about the report and to connect with Cultura Connect, head to culturaconnect.co.uk. Coming up on the Farming Programme podcast, what's new at Lama? What's the weather looking like for this week? And how are the markets doing? The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Lama returned to the NEC this week, one of the biggest agricultural shows in the country and the first real big one of the year. Lots of shiny new stuff to look at, including New Holland's new combine, the CR11. Here's product specialist Nigel Honeyman. So we're sat at the moment in the brand new CR11 combine. So this is our new flagship machine. Due to be launched later this year, we're still in a reveal phase at the moment. This machine has been a long while in the coming. We have designed it primarily to be our uh, highest capacity combine, but with a specific aim in mind. There's no point in having lots of capacity if you throw a lot of grain over the back of the combine. Uh, So it's been designed to get as close to zero losses as is possible. And to that end, what we have done is we've redeveloped the entire cleaning shoe. So the cleaning shoe is brand new, it's what we call Twin Clean. Um, And what we've done also is we've completely redeveloped the rotors and the threshing and separation system in the combine. Give us some idea then just how much power and size we're talking about in this. Okay, well this this machine uh, will run with a 50 foot or a 15 meter header on the front of it. We are currently testing it with a 18 meter header. Uh, It runs with a 775 horsepower engine. It can comfortably exceed the our current flagship machine the CR1090 uh, by 20 to 40 percent range now that 1090 currently is the world record holder and when it beat the record it was whisker shy of 100 tons an hour so it's a phenomenal output machine but at the same time at virtually minimal losses so given the size and the scale and the capacity of it what market are you aiming at for this when you have a look at the the combine market over the last 15 to 20 years we see a uh, a definite move towards larger machines beyond 600 horsepower we in the uk are slightly more ahead of the curve if you like than the rest of europe so we're slightly further along that path we are seeing that over 60 percent of the machines are rotaries and of those these bigger machines are starting to take the uh, the big lion's share of it and when we forecast the numbers forward by 2030 or so or a little after this machine may be a lot more commonplace than we think at the minute and what about in the cab tech wise tech wise uh, we've made the operator as comfortable as we can in this super quiet cab but we try and do a lot of the work for them the combine is completely automated with what we call our intellisense system so it has the ability to look at problems around the combine and resolve them itself with 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 settings so for example if the combine started seeing losses over the back of the combine it could regulate its own speed it can regulate the settings of the uh, uh, the threshing system to be able to address those losses is what we call a closed loop logic it sees a problem it tries to solve the problem and then it checks to see whether what it has done has actually resolved the issue so it always closes the loop it doesn't do something in the assumption that this is what should work it, it, it works by actually performing the task and then checking it's done it. Does it come with things like remote diagnostics? You can actually sort of dial into this from elsewhere if necessary? Yep. This machine is actually a, um, an engineering prototype. Um, it is a, we have, we, it's all wired up uh, with telematics. 
So everything, every time you open the door, every time you move a handle, uh, it gets reported back to, to the factory. Normally we'd just use a normal telematics modem with the, with the combine, at which point it has all of its location, all of its, um, any fault codes that are coming up, uh, anything, anything like that can go back to the factory. So what we can do is remote diagnose because we can see a pattern of failures, a pattern of errors, and then we know what that will be, and then we can advise the dealer to go out and, uh, and, and interject before the failure actually stops the machine running. But of course, it's not going to fail very often, is it? That's the idea. One of the, one of the pillars of design with this thing is that we have designed it so that it is as reliable as we possibly can make it. Uh, very few maintenance points on it. We've, we've removed all chains, which were high-maintenance uh, items with oiling and tensioning. All chains have gone around the machine. There are no daily grease nipples around the machine. Uh, it has been made so that it is 100% reliable, as close as we can get it. All, all machines will fail at some point. You'll put a rock up in it, and that's completely beyond my control. But we've done as much as we can to, uh, to, to, to bring it as, as close to zero as we can get. You say this is coming uh, later in the year. Any idea when this may be available? It's going to be available to purchase from July the 1st. Uh, for Harvest 25. So we're running um, three combines in the in the UK this year. So uh, we're going to be doing a, a pair of demonstration tours, one starting probably Lincolnshire moving north and one starting on the south coast to move up towards the Lincolnshire area. And if somebody's interested in knowing more about this, where should they go? Uh, they need to go to their, their nearest New Holland dealer. Uh, the, the dealers are, are starting to be trained up on this new machine and also to get onto the demonstration tour the, you need to contact your, de your local dealer to do that Alright Nigel, thank you very much indeed have a great show Thank you very much indeed Rather smaller than the CR11 is the new UTV from Polaris who won the Future Innovation Award at Lama for the electric Ranger Kinetic National Sales Manager at Polaris Richard Colby, tell us more So it's been kind of in the wings if you like for probably the last two and a half, three years now lots of testing and validations been going on with the product behind the scenes to really ensure that the product we launch is a market ready unit and by market ready we mean ready to cope with the rigours of agriculture, shoots, estates, landowners, everything that that entails in terms of a proper working market and I think that's really where the kinetic shines is that it's there's other EVs, if you like, in utility vehicles on the market already. Um, ours, if you like, is probably the first full-size, what we'd call a full-size UTV. So it's a three-seat chassis as opposed to a two-seat. It's also fully road homologated, so it can be full PLG road legal as well as for agricultural limited use. But outside of that, I suppose it's probably the first on the market that's designed from a, a ground-up EV platform rather than an, an, ad, an adapted existing chassis and that's where we really set ourselves apart if you like from the competition in that segment. The battery itself is an automotive style integrated battery. The power, the capability, the performance of the machine is certainly market leading. Um, we're talking uh, overall in the UTV market it's the most powerful UTV on the market uh, petrol engines included so it's it's over 100 horsepower equivalent there's two flavors if you like so there's a 15 kilowatt version and a 30 kilowatt version 40 miles or 80 miles of range conservatively and that's tested in a working environment so that's tested in terrain um, partially loaded so it's not just ideal conditions it's real world conditions that we're seeing those kinds of ranges so 
As I say, it's been designed uh, with a working market in mind. When you say with the market in mind, what market are we looking at? Are we talking about farmers or are we talking about landowners? What, where, what's it aimed at? I mean, it's aimed at a very broad spectrum. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of markets, if you like, for utility vehicles. For us as Polaris, our core market in the UK is agriculture and landowners. Um, you know, our biggest customer base is farmers. And I think there's certainly, you know, a good portion of that market where carbon net zero, carbon reduction is a big driver. Um, and obviously this, this forms part of that drive, if you like. However, it does also open up other doors within other, other markets, other demographics, local authorities, councils, schools and colleges, plant hire, um, you know, different demographics where traditionally uh, utility vehicles uh, aren't often considered. But now with an electric vehicle, there's much more of an argument, um, certainly in terms of the capability, the capacity, the load carrying, towing. Our kinetic will stand up to that, that market equivalency, if you like, with pickups and that kind of vehicle. So another alternative in a, in a commercial vehicle market, really. The, the beauty of um, like an automotive style lithium-ion battery, if you like, is that opportunity charging charging as and when you can isn't a detriment to the battery it doesn't have any memory effect if you like or any detriment to the battery so 40 miles is constant use if you were to opportunity charge that during breaks or downtime obviously that increases the range significantly across the across the day um, and that's a different mindset for a lot of people you know with an IC engine machine people fill it up at the start of the day they use it and then they fill it up at the end of the day battery is very different to that you top it up as and when you can rather than running it constantly till it's empty so it's a very different mindset but certainly a, a practical one in in most environments with most farm vehicles they're not running constantly you know 40 miles you don't, don't you've done it in an hour but they're stop start stop start it last a day's work yeah exactly that utility vehicles generally and atvs quad bikes spend the vast majority of their life ticking over they're either sat at a gate, you know, sat watching stock, they're not always moving. And when an EV is not moving, it's not consuming anything. When a petrol engine's ticking over or a diesel engine's ticking over, it's consuming fuel. So again, another big kind of consideration to think about. Okay, and from an operator's point of view, what's in the cab? Uh, very, very similar to our existing utility vehicle lineup. So um, same in terms of the transmission. So you've got a high box, a low box on the, on the transmission, park, neutral and reverse. The big difference with the Kinetic is that you do away completely with the traditional CVT style drive system, which is what most UT vehicles use. Um, it's a direct connection between the motor and the gearbox. So there's no kind of clutches to worry about from a maintenance point of view, no belt maintenance to worry about. The maintenance and the running costs are much reduced on that basis. The rest of the cab in terms of driving is very, very similar to the rest of our range. The big benefit with EV, certainly in terrain and, and a working environment, steep ground, the engine braking is absolutely exceptional with an EV. Um, you know, most of our machines actually do have engine braking systems fitted to them now, um, but over and above that, a CVT still has limitations in that regard. An EV would give you much more engine braking capacity and regenerative braking as well, which puts charge back into the battery. So big benefits there as well. Uh, Richard. Uh, if somebody wants to find out a bit more about this, where should they go? 
Uh, best starting point is PolarisBritain.com, the, the website. You can go on there and look for your local dealer. You can find out more information about the machine. He can give us your details and obviously we'd be happy to contact you and offer a demonstration or look at your application. So these are available on the market now? Yep, ready to go, in stock. They're there for customers to, uh, to take advantage of. Richard, thank you very much for that and enjoy the rest of Lama. No problem, good to meet you. Back to the big stuff and holding the title as the world's largest production tractor is the Case IH715. On show for the first time in the UK at Lama, marketing manager at Case IH, Neil Mesa, your flagship machine. Tell us about this monster. Um, so it's the first time it's actually been seen in the UK here. So as you can see, um, we've got a lot of interest around the machine today. And it's, it's, it is big, let's face it. It's got four tracks. It's got one at each corner. What kind of farmer, what kind of market are you aiming this at? So obviously with the size of it there, it's currently the biggest the biggest tractor we have um, out there. So it's, it's a large arable farmers is really where they are to cover a lot of ground in a short time frame. As we all know recently, the, the weather conditions have not been best. So the time frame is less, the, the window of opportunity to get work done is less. So a bigger machine to cover bigger area in a shorter time. Yeah, because as you say, the weather has caused us all sorts of problems over the last few weeks. Having tracks rather than wheels has got to help. Yes, it has. I mean, I mean, there's advantages for both. You know, it really depends on applications where you're going to be, whether you go for a wheeled unit or a track unit. You'll see really with this sort of size, certainly a quad track or articulated agricultural tractor there, it's generally tracks is where it is. And as you rightly say there, a lot of it is not weather conditions, but it gives you better power to weight ratio to the ground and the traction's better. Talking of power and things like that, what what's what's under the hood? Yeah, so under the hood, so on side of the hood, it says 715. That's its rated horsepower. It will max up to about just short of 800, about 778 horsepower will go through, and that's powered by a 16 liter FBT or Fiat powertrain engine. And in terms of the cab, what have we got in there? Lots of uh, shiny new technology? Yes, lots of new technology. Um, it comes in there. It's the same as, as many of our tractors there now, where it's called an AFS tractor there. So it's a connector tractor. So we can remotely monitor the tractor, so we can get agronomic data from it, as well as how we can optimise the running of it in there. So yes, everything's new in the cab on there. All of the control systems new, all the displays is new. All your normal sort of comfort features is new in there. Okay. And you got anything else new on the stand? We have actually, so as well, we've got the first time again in the UK here, we have our new farm lift, which is a new telehander, as probably your, your listeners would know it as, but yeah, so that's the new one here as well. The new 742 model we've got there, seven metres high, it will lift 4.2 lift ton capacity. If somebody wants some more information on what you do, where do they go? So the easiest thing to do is to go to the website, you know, just go to caseih.com, have a look on there, go to the UK one. You'd be able to find there your local dealer where you can contact the dealer and you'll obviously be able to find all the information about all the products we're showing at Lama. All right, Neil, thank you and have a good show. Thank you very much. Finally, from my visit to Lama, a quick look at Vadastad's new top-down with technical specialist Ed Hutchinson. A top-down is designed to be a mixing machine, if you like, and we concentrate in that area that a fence post would rot off, if you like. The top sort of eight, ten inches of soil where all the living organisms are in. So what the top-down does is it's basically its tooling is you have two rows of discs, conical discs, there's, those are controlled in front of the machine and then moving through the machine we have four rows of mixing tines. They boil the soil if you like and mix it uh, and they're so effective that if we went to a garden centre and got a load of wood chip 
and we drive at 90 degrees to that laid out wood chip in the soil it would take some of those wood chips 30 meters up the field so it's a very effective mixer and what we're trying to do with those tines is mix the soil and biomass together and we've learned through our farm in Sweden that by mixing the biomass it improves your soil fertility improves it so it's all about getting the organic matter mixed in continuing through the machine when the tines gone through it the back row of tines would leave a trough where it's dug out the soil so that trough could maybe like six or eight inches deep if you like so what we need to do is backfill that so we have these star discs that then backfill that that wake if you like if it was a boat imagine the wake of a boat and then finally we want to make the soil um, in some cases firm it to make it weatherproof is this a brand new piece of kit or is it a development of a, of a previous model the new thing is this we've actually developed a complete new way of using this machine so traditionally you would be using clips or slide adjustment you get out of the tractor cab if you like and make an adjustment for the depth of the tines or the or the roller pressure and what we've done now, you completely control the machine on an iPad. That's the new top-down with e-services from vadastad.co.uk. Another excellent llama, which returns to the NEC on the 15th and 16th of January next year. One other exhibitor I visited was the Farming Simulator League. You can hear all about that on next week's farming programme. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Ed Middleton. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Steve. 611 head this week sold through Louth. Uh, we start off with uh, the prime cattle. We had an excellent show, increase in numbers and a super trade to match. Heifers all in average 295.6 pence per kilo and steers all in average 287.73. Top price in the heifers were F. Wallison son of Biscothorpe, topping at £1,845 per head and 307.5 pence per kilo. Top price in the Sears were J.E. Thirlby of Kexby, topping at 1,722 and 13 pence, which equates to 299.5 pence per kilo. Moving on to the Steers, J.E. Thirlby of Kexby at uh, 299.5 pence per kilo, J.W. Brooks at 289.5 pence per kilo. That concludes the Prime. Moving on to the Cool Cows and OTMs, an increase entry and a super trade to match. Um, top price in the cool cows this week were C.A. Mottram and Sons of Lincoln at £1,599.75 or 197.5 pence per kilo. Uh, moving on to the store cattle, uh, super entry this week of store cattle. All in average, the steers average 1,040 and the heifers again average 1,040. Bulls all in average this week at 1,086.67. Pitcher Farms of Boston had a super run of pedigree limbers and heifers, topping at 1,340 for nine-month-old heifers, with others at 1,300. Uh, reminder, the next store sale is on Monday, the 5th of February. That concludes the cattle. Uh, moving on to the prime sheep, prime hogs this week. Had an SQQ of 270.49 and an all-in average of 264.8. Just shy of 450 hogs over the bridge this week. An excellent entry. Topping at 310 pence per kilo for Scrivelsby Farms of Horncastle. Store lambs. We had just a couple of pens of store lambs this week from EC Herring of Lincoln. Topping at £92. Onto the cull ewes. A very uh, mixed bag on offer this week with an average of £87.53. 
A top price of 144, Scribblesby Farms of Horncastle. We're back business as usual on Monday the 22nd of January for all prime cattle and all classes of sheep. We're also delighted to announce we're holding a farmer's spring collective sale on Saturday the 16th of March. Entry forms are available to download off the website. I'm Edward Middleton, auctioneer at Louth Livestock Market. Thanks, Ed. And to the Grey Markets, good morning to Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Good morning, Steve. Last week's USDA report was perceived as negative for grains and oil seeds, with only the positive being the reduction in the US winter wheat plantings, which were well below trade expectations. The biggest surprise in the USDA report was the increase in their maize yield to a new record, despite what was reportedly their second worst drought on record. Chinese maize production was increased by 12 million metric tonnes in line with the official Chinese records, whilst only reducing Brazilian maize production by 2 million, which is still above many trade estimates. Much will depend on planting progress of their important Brazilian safrina maize crop, which makes up 75% of their overall production, and it's only now getting underway. The Russian wheat export pace has slowed due to a combination of bad weather and logistics, with prices rising from their lows. Recent weakness in EU prices has seen a converge with the Black Sea. EU exports have picked up pace with weekly data showing a 1.05 was shipped, which is now only 7% reduction on last year, which is still too slow when compared to port data. The current shipping lineup in France is growing with vessels waiting to load to go to China, Algeria and Morocco. Moving on to malting barley, the UK in theory has a surplus of export malting barley. Whether the surplus is in merchant or co-op stores, we will not know until later in the season. What is evident, however, is that the origination of the barley is incredibly slow. Domestic and export bids are few and far between, with rumours of EU traders looking to wash out cargoes that they have on their books. Whether these are first-hand originators or hedges is currently unknown. As highlighted by the recent inflation figures, alcohol prices are rising, which cannot be good for demand. It is unlikely that maltsters will carry out much more than they have to into new crop, given the price spreads and the poor quality of this year's crop. An oilseed rape having hit recent lows on Matif at 418.5 for February, the rapeseed market has tried to find its feet and rallied back up to 430. Having been in a narrow trading range all through October to the end of December, the wetter weather in South America may have just knocked the market down into a new range from 420 to 430. The recent USDA report surprisingly put the world soybean production higher at 398.98 million metric tonnes, up marginally from the December estimate. An anticipated decline in the Brazilian crop was recognised, however, and this was offset by increases elsewhere, such as in the US and Argentina. With demand largely unchanged, it has meant that the world soybean S&D is left slightly larger and has a carryout, which was not necessarily expected going into the report. So, looking at prices this week, Feed wheat for February 170 to 180, April 174 to 184, May 176 to 186, and November new crop 190 to 200 pounds. Milling wheat premiums are circa 55 to 60 pounds. Feed barley for February 136 to 146, April 147 to 157, and May 148 to 158. Looking at new crop barley, 152 to 162. And lastly, oilseed rape, February 331 to 341, April 333 to 343, and May 335 to 345. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. 
A windy, warmer but wetter week on the way. Westerly to southwesterly winds all week in the high teens to mid 20s MPH, but gusting most days in excess of 50 miles an hour. Plenty of rain this week, some of it quite heavy and a noticeable increase in temperature with daytime highs around 10 to 12 Celsius and overnights only really down to 5. Next week on the Farming Programme podcast, we're out for a day with the Lincolnshire Police's Rural Crime Action Team and we'll hear all about the farming simulator, the latest fly-tipping numbers and look ahead to an agricultural careers event coming soon in Lincolnshire. And I'm delighted to say Sean Sparling will be back with a walk through the crops and some timely agronomy advice on next week's Farming Programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.